Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back. I have Rajpal Panu on the podcast today. Rajpal, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to chat. Hey, thanks for having me, Jonathan. I know it's been about five weeks since uh, PCX2, but I'm glad that we're able to make it work. Um, just like just like the ultra, we'll keep we'll keep the conversation rolling. Um, well, cool. So, so first question: uh, Who is Rajpal? Well, uh, Raj Paul, <laughs> me, um, I am a first generation Indian American. I was born in uh, a small town called Lancaster, California. It's in Los Angeles County. Um, but I grew up in the Bay Area. And Raj Paul himself is a runner that's just trying to get it all together in this day and age. <laughs> That is very relatable. Uh, I feel like we're all trying to hold it together and get it together these days. Um, so yeah, I want to dive into all of that. Um, given that it's a running podcast, we'll we'll start from uh, we'll start from that as the base. And as you mentioned, um, you recently ran and did quite well in uh, Project Carbon X two. Um, so we'll get to that for sure. But let's start with sort of your foundation as a runner. Uh, do you remember your first run or your first couple of runs? Yeah. Um, well, my first runs, in an essence, were just the PE mile in high school. Um, growing up, I loved playing basketball, loved playing football. Uh, I was very active, and but I was just never the best of anything. But anytime I, as a kid, I would like reflect and I'd look back and I would be like, wow, you know, I was like outside playing for like 12 hours and I didn't feel tired. And uh, typically like the neighbors that I would play with, like would eventually tire out. Um, and I kept that in the back of my head. And the PE mile was essentially the first official training run. Um, I was an overweight kid as a sophomore in high school. Um, I do remember doing it a little bit in elementary and in the sixth grade. And it was like an eight-minute mile um, in the sixth grade. Nothing spectacular, but I remember doing it as a sophomore. And I was almost 200 pounds. Um, for, and I, at that time, I think I was like five foot eight. And none of it was really muscle. But uh, I remember running seven minutes, just under eight-minute pace, uh, seven minutes and 12 seconds uh, my sophomore year. And just given my frame, um, I was kind of impressed and uh, 
the year before I did it in like eight minutes as a ninth grader. Um, but I just loved that progression and I eventually continued or before that, um, I had a new year's resolution and it was new year's Eve of 2006. Um, at that time I was overweight and my mom expressed her concerns in regards to, um, heart disease that runs in our family. And she was just worried about me. And again, I was a kid that was almost 200 pounds, given that I was active. What really mean, what that really means is that if I wasn't active, like I would have been obese, you know, and at that time I wasn't obese, but I definitely was overweight. Um, but New Year's Eve, 2006, I just wasn't in a great place and I wasn't doing any organized sports. I wasn't in clubs. My grades weren't even that great. So I really just didn't have anything going for me, but I ripped the back of a cardboard box or the back of a cereal box, I apologize, and took out a Sharpie and essentially wrote my goals. Um, I randomly just told myself that I wanted to run for 2007, run the mile in under six minutes and 20 seconds and lose like 45 pounds or 50 pounds. I really, I keep forgetting what the exact number was. Um, but I did the, I did that within a couple of months when I like really focused, um, on like my health goals and whatnot. And I eventually ended up running the mile in under 620, uh, that year. Nice. That's awesome. And so you went from eight minutes to 620, uh, as a, as a burly high schooler and, then what? How did you? How did you just ran a hundred k pretty quickly? Might I add? Um, <laughs> where did what did that progression look like? You know, um, I when I reflect and look back, I was kind of fortunate to not be in an organized team because if I and to put things into perspective, the cross country team had two varsity runners my junior year, and I was one of them. And months before that, I didn't even know what cross country was. Um, and in the city in which I grew up, Hercules, California, um, sports, there really isn't tr a true emphasis on sports, especially in sports like running, golf, whatever it may be, like the ones in which uh, people from more affluent backgrounds typically participate in. So as a result, my junior year, I was actually the best runner on the team, but I was running like 18 minute 5Ks, given that that occurred five or nine months after I decided to lose 45 pounds and wanted to run that mile in 620. Uh, but I was just lucky to be, quote unquote, the best guy on my team. And if I was in any other established program, um, I would have been in junior varsity. And as a result, just the feedback loop that I would have gotten from that, like, oh, hey, I'm an 11th grader that's in JV. Like I wouldn't have been, there wouldn't have been as much momentum versus like a kid who was like the best runner on the team because I was never really the best of anything beforehand, even be it I was running like eight, 18 minute 5Ks. So, what did the process look like of going from the eight minute mile to 18 minute five Ks? I mean, for many of the people listening, that's fast. Um, 
which I think is important to keep in context. So was it was it just sort of sharpening and and doing the work? Was was there sort of like an aha moment when you were like, hmm, I I'm able to suffer. I can do this better than the people around me. What was the 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 impetus behind um, seeing that progression initially? Yeah, and and I should clarify um, an 18 minute 5K uh, is fast in general, right? I'm just uh, uh, putting it into context in terms of like where I would stand in high school varsity or junior varsity cross country. Um, The progression in itself, just uh, during spring break of my sophomore year, I remember watching a Tylenol commercial about this person that would just run until he would get lost. And I didn't have anything to do uh, during spring break, but I eventually went out and it was a culmination of walking, jogging, stops here and there. But it ended up being about five and a half miles or so. Um, and I remember like the last like mile and a half was just what you might have saw like for Project Carbon X2, that 100K race. Um, I felt like that. But for like the, the last like mile and a half for like my five mile run. And I remember just not being able to run for days. But eventually through time, and I was just self-coaching myself, um, it, the runs just got a little bit quicker, less stops. Eventually by the summertime, I was like able to do full five-mile runs at like seven-plus pace, eight-minute pace. Um, and it led to me joining the high school cross-country team, which at that time wasn't really established. Um so I was still coaching myself at that time. Got it. And so fast forward a few years, now you're into ultra running. Um, where did that, where did that leap happen? Uh, it really happened and it's crazy because it's the one year anniversary of the Olympic trials last year. Um, it happened at the end of or at the culmination of last year's Olympic trials. Um, Personally, and this was before the pandemic, um, I was going to take extensive time off from running. And just to put it into context, I was a, or I am a full-time high school teacher and living in the Bay Area, running or trying to hold up uh, the integrity of like a full-blown marathon training plan while teaching 50 hours a week or upwards to 50 hours and commuting back and forth given the Bay Area traffic, it just really didn't serve my running that well. And although I was like, I was, uh, can't say satisfied, but I was fine with my performance at the trials given that I was injured. Um, I really wanted to take some time off, but then the pandemic hit and the pandemic hit literally two weeks after the trial. So the second week of March. And although I was taking time off, um, just not commuting to school to work and having, um, just having more extensive time to like really reflect and to figure out, Hey, like, what am I like? What is my purpose? You know, uh, the work hours were not 50 hours. They were, about 30 or so just working from home. 
And as a result, I had so much time on my hands uh, to reflect, think back. And there were some things that led, like a, there was a, it's called the, the War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Um, during that time in which I was reflecting, I was reading about the War of Art and it talks about how every artist has a muse or has this potential that they can achieve. However, there are these like invisible blocks of resistance. So for instance, like Stephen Pressfield was a writer, um, therefore just a direct artist and his resistance was just sitting down and doing the work. Right. And when I really reflected back at my like marathon training block, I was cutting corners simply just because I wasn't, I was working a lot. Um, and so I kind of just had to reevaluate what I can do with running and how I can heal my injuries as well too. Uh, I was also dealing with a lot of injuries just because of the nature of my workload and not really being able to like spend extensive time doing the things like foam rolling, getting massages, et cetera, et cetera. It's not that I wasn't doing it, but I just wasn't doing it to the degree of like atypical, you know, just a, any professional runner that's doing it full time. Um, so I had to really take a step back and reevaluate how I can rewrite the script of running that's best conducive for me. What was the, what was the way that you did all of that reflection? Um, a lot of people meditate a lot of the way the place that prior to the pandemic that I did my best thinking was either on the run or, uh, sitting in the sauna. Um, what's the, how did you, how did you get there? How did you get to those answers? Man, one of my favorite things is utilizing the sauna. It was just unfortunate that I couldn't use the sauna just given the pandemic (laughs) and I don't have a personal one. Um, the extensive time since I wasn't commuting and I wasn't running crazy mileage, it would just be like at night on my balcony, um, where either I would just read or I'd have that extra time to stretch out. And I was reading uh, Stephen Pressfield's book, The War of Art was essentially a think aloud for me. Like as I, as if I, like when I was reading this book, I was asking myself the big questions like, Hey, did you really do everything that it took to be the best version of yourself as a runner? Um, Were you fully invested and since I had the time to ask these personal questions, the truth was a hard pill to, uh, to really swallow for me personally, because the reality was despite my intent um, of holding this like work-life balance, I really wasn't getting the best of like my running potential. And so I had to revise everything from, the workouts that I did, the training. um, And I essentially just had to go back to the drawing board and even just have those like moments of uh, just those like hard conversations and just be like, Hey, yeah, this, this thing has taken you this far, but you've like plateaued in a sense, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's, 
like you said, it's a hard pill to swallow, but once you swallow it, um, anything is possible, right? Absolutely. That's kind of like anytime, you know, like if you're, if somebody was like in, in an AA program, the first step is just admitting, right? That admitting that you have a problem. I didn't have any problems in that sense, but I just had things that didn't serve me or have or have right. already could served be me. And it could, yeah, could be better. Um, and you're now in Boulder, right? I'm in Denver, the heart of Denver, uh, just Denver. outside right, right. nearby Washington Park, which is a pretty prominent place where uh, races are held. You'll see elite runners training. Um, great spot to be. And is that part of, was that change part of this sort of next, next version of yourself? Absolutely. Um, one of, one of the things that I at least struggled with was just not taking the chance in my early twenties to put all of my marbles into running. Um, I was held a job or I was just trying to support my graduate uh, studies one way or another, but I stayed in the Bay Area and it only served me so far. But I always asked myself like, hey, like what would it be like if I was training in elevation, putting in the volume and having that full support that I like really need to excel. And I finally took the leap and it's better late than never, but I did it uh, at 29 years old during the summer of 2020. So just this past year, I moved in August 1st and it is officially what month number eight that I'm uh, in Denver. Nice. Um, yeah. The altitude is a fun, fun challenge for sure. Have you, um, yeah, I guess you have raised. You went. You went down to uh, to Arizona. Um, let's talk about let's talk about the Project Carbon X. Um, how did that come about for you? And and first, what what is it for those who don't know? Yeah, uh, Project Carbon X two um, was an event created by Hoka Oneone to present the Carbon X two. Um, their latest shoe that uses uh, carbon material for a better response when you're running an ultra race like a hundred miler. Um, the crazy thing is before this was, this was officially announced amongst the ultra runners within Hoka Oneone sometime around November. That's when I personally got the official word, but there was a buzz and I went on a trail run um, with one of my buddies in the Bay Area. This was sometime around July, but he referenced Hoka launching a 100K world record attempt back in July. He's not, uh, you know, he doesn't work with Hoka in any capacity, but it's just crazy that the word to some degree got out. And during that time in July, I remember going on that run. I was just like, one way or another, I'm going to be running this race. I just had an itch. And there was no real plan in July, but sometime around September, and I stayed active despite the pandemic, and I knew that races weren't going to happen personally. But there were some 
ultras out there, like the JFK 50 miler uh, that I registered for. And I kind of just told myself, hey, like, if I can perform at the JFK 50 miler, I will get an invite to run Project Carbon X 2. I just like had a sitch for some reason. Um, at that time, I was running for the Hoka One One Aggies, which is a local club in uh, towards Central California, Southern California. And Hoka typically asks the Aggies for pacers. And I knew to at least the very least degree that I was going to be pacing this event. But I also knew that if I were to perform at the JFK 50 miler, or at least do well enough, um, I will get an invitation to run Project Carbon X2. Um, so I trained for this 50 mile race, uh, the JFK 50 miler. 15 of it is on the Appalachian Trail, um, which is, <laughs> it is unforgiving. And I was Very putting gnarly. in some volume. Yeah, incredibly gnarly. Um, have you ran it? Uh, not that, uh, actually, yes, that section. Uh, I've run it in Maryland and Massachusetts. Yeah, it's a brutal and unforgiving course, and I'm a road specialist. Uh, from July up until September, I was training half on trails, half on the roads, and then eventually, um, I tweaked my calf, so I just decided to stay on the roads until the JFK 50 miler. Um, I ran the race, but I sprained my ankle around mile seven and I was initially going to drop out, but I just knew that flight back home was going to be brutal and all that training leading to a DNF was not going to sit well with me. And more so, I kind of just knew that if I weren't to perform at JFK 50 miler, I wasn't going to be invited to a PCX2, a Project Carbon X2, so... Long story short, I did well enough at JFK 50 miler. I got an email the following day from Mike asking me if I wanted to participate in the event um, as a runner and not a pacer. And it was just crazy getting that email because I kind of just like visualized it all coming um, together to some degree. And uh, essentially with that sprained ankle and the JFK 50 miler, I took three days off and I got back into training, put in six weeks worth of high volume, tapered for two weeks, and then uh, was fit and ready for Project Carbon X2. I do apologize. Very I cool. think uh, you what asked was... me what the Carbon X2 event was like, right? Not leading up to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's dive, let's dive into that. So, it was fascinating to watch. Um, and so I, I'm in Boston or I was in Boston for it. So I woke up, watched it for a few hours and went for a run. And I think I, I timed it so that, um, my run was finishing right as you guys were finishing. And, um, and so I listened to the YouTube broadcast, like from my phone as I went on a 10 mile run and it was just like the energy was wild. I mean, many of us hadn't haven't raced in a long time, so there was that. And then watching this, you know, wild record attempt, and and such a like such a fast time for for such a long distance. Um, so talk to me about the like 
what were you thinking on the start line? Let's start there. Um, yeah. And I'll even preface this with, uh, I remember bumping into Jim a couple days before the event actually happened. And Jim came a little bit later than uh, the remaining uh, Hoka Oneone athletes, uh, simply because he lives in Flagstaff and he can make that 90 minute drive, um, at his convenience. But he just asked me how I was doing and what I wanted to do. And Hoka essentially wanted to have two groups, one for the American record pace group and one for the world record pace group. Now, when I was talking to Jim, he gave me a very specific prediction. And he was like, two runners are going to drop out of the world record pace, at least. And the reasoning for his uh, for his prediction was that Nao Kazami might be butchering his name, but Nao ran six oh nine with, and it was wind aided from point A to point B. Now, when you run from one point to the other, um, you're not worried about tangents, which typically for a sixty two mile race does add up through the course of time. Um, and he was running and it was like wind aided. So in other words, that 609 time to beat, um, was a, it it was just naturally going to be tough. And so just through that, and I read an article about one person just uh, talking about the history of ultras and it just gave me a little bit more respect for the race, um, before my debut. And I think there were just a lot of runners that might have overlooked that Nao's attempt, you know, and actually putting respect on that attempt in itself. Um, so as a result, I knew I was quicker than, or at that time, I thought I was quicker than American record pace. But I just knew if I latched on with that first group, I would have, uh, it, it would not have been pretty for me. So I was right in the middle between those two <laughs> groups. Um, and so when I got on the starting line, I was actually very comfortable. I just kind of knew at that time I had an outside shot of top three. I would say I was, in my opinion, I was at least one of the five fittest people on the start line in itself. So there was a lot of calmness. Um, the preparation in itself is really just trying to figure out your nutrition and knowing where your aid stations are um, and just making sure you have that one last bowel movement in before you're ready to kick it off for like the next <laughs> six, seven, eight hours, you know? Yeah. So to put this in context, for those who didn't follow along, you ran that at 615 pace for 100K or 62 miles. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. The goal was to go at 612 pace, which would have been um, six flat miles, given that you ran the tangents properly, um, that you didn't have any breaks, et cetera, et cetera. But even a six flat pace would have was a little bit too ambitious, but it wasn't uh, crazy enough for me to like just break down and not finish the race. Sure. So... A couple you know, about twenty minutes ago, you talked about how your goal for high school was to break six twenty in the mile 
for one mile. And here you go and do it 62 times, um, even faster. What do you think, Raj Paul? Of, it's crazy. Of, yeah. What What do you think, Raj Paul, of, of back then would have thought? You know, for one, I never really thought about it like that or even gave the time to think about something like that. Um, Raj Paul back then didn't know that uh, you can run outside of a track, like that people just go for jogs, do this and that. I genuinely thought that running was all on the track and that's what you did. Um, You would never see anybody in the city that I grew up in going on runs, uh, at least back then. But I don't even know what to think. I I think my mind would be blown (laughs) um, given that if you were to look, what, 14 years into the future or so that I did that, like, it's just crazy to think like where you may perceive yourself to be and then where you like actually end up and what you actually end up doing. So uh, to put it into a one word, I would just say just mind blown. That's maybe two words. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I, I think that um, my one of my favorite things about the sport is um, that attainment of getting better every day. And then there's also the reflection of looking back and seeing like what you, what has become normal used to be impossible. And I think that that's a piece that any, that runners of any level can take away from somebody like yourself or somebody like Jim or or really anyone who's out here doing spectacular things that um, it's not overnight success. Like you said, 14 years of, of progress to get you to where you are today. Yeah. And there is one thing to note. Um, Your progress is not going to be linear. It might be exponential right off the bat, especially when you try anything new. Um, And when I was doing those PE miles once a week, I was PRing naturally by like 10, 15 seconds. Um, Elite athletes running the mile and trying to break four minutes would love to just shave like one second off, if that even, you know. Right. Just through the nature of things and the nature of running and through time, when you do cultivate your skill set and you do make those improvements, uh, it is important to know that your progression is not going to be linear. Um, there might be dips here and there, and there are going to be variables, be- variables being thrown your way, like uh, having a full-time job or getting married or having kids um, that can impede upon your progression as a runner, but it's also just as important to acknowledge that and know that albeit not going to be linear, if you stay consistent and you just keep pushing, you're going to naturally through time have that breakthrough. For sure. Uh, did you go for a run today? I did. I did. Um, the past five weeks, I've been running every other day, but just given that the time and the circumstances of today that there aren't so many races, I found a race in late April and today is essentially the unofficial or the official, I apologize, first day of training for that race. Uh, ran about 12 and a half miles, got some core, got some exercises in before I began class as a teacher. 
as a teacher, excuse nice. me. Uh, uh, what, what was it that got you out the door today? <sighs> One being March 1st. Um, it just feels like a clean slate. I'm very type A. Like when I made, when I lost all that weight, um, I started on January 1st, 2007. So the month of February, uh, I was just trying to get a feel of my body and see where I was at. And I was initially aiming for comrades in, I think, late, mid to late June. So I thought I had extensive time. Um, but when comrades was canceled, I was running every other day and there were just lapses of motivation. Uh, and it can get the best of all of us, you know. But just having a goal in mind and having a race in mind um, got me out of the door today. Cool. Um, what does success mean to you? Ooh, that's a really good question. Well, I believe for one, um, you base success off your values and what you prioritize in life. Obviously, running is a thing that I prioritize very high uh, in my life personally. Um, success for me as a runner is for at least years down the line when I have kids um, that they could at least look at my accomplishments and know that at least one point in my life, I was actually pretty cool in the things that I did and the places that I went um, <laughs> are at least like impressionable on them. Very cool. Um, talking about family life, you mentioned you're a first generation American. What has, what has that experience been like for you and how does your family look at running? I think that's the biggest challenge for me personally. Um, I was raised by a single parent and um, my dad passed away when I was three years old and my entire family uh, lives in India. So I only have one immediate family member in the United States. Um, and just naturally when you're a first generation, anyone, uh, things like education, job, job security, wealth, those are things that are just valued very high. And for my family back home and, you know, they're proud of me in India. Um, but they still don't really understand what exactly I do. <laughs> but uh, my, I could say that my mom's definitely proud of me as well, too. She's been a part of this journey. She's been very supportive. Um, I've made my personal sacrifices. As you mentioned, we were talking about like, hey, like what, what did sophomore, that 14, 15-year-old kid, like what would he have thought about me running 62 miles in 615 pace, you know? it's really hard for him to contextualize that because his expectations, at least back then was just graduating uh, college, getting a job, getting married, having kids, you know, and the latter things like I'm just nowhere near that. So, so I've definitely made my sacrifices. Um, but at, in um, long story short, my family, they're supportive but at times they do struggle to grasp like why I do this. 
simply because there are other things that they're looking to see me accomplish that I haven't accomplished, i.e. getting married, having kids, et cetera, et cetera. How do you, how do you rectify that, at least internally? Or, or have you? How do I uh, rectify it? Yeah. Um, actually, can you give me context to rectify? I have like an idea as to what it might mean. Yeah. So how, like, how does that sit with you? How do you, how does it make you, how does it make you feel? How do you, um, got it, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's definitely tough. Um, because you deal with societal expectations, you deal with dogma, things in which, you know, people, especially like your mom, try to project their expectations of you onto you. It's tough. I'm not going to say it's easy by any means. Um, what does give me affirmations is the work that I do and just taking it one day at a time. Um, and what diminishes any anxieties of that are doing things like going on a run because runs, workouts, they provide affirmations and they tell me that, hey, despite how you may feel about what others may think about you or whatever, you're putting in the work and this work is going to pay off in one way or in another. Yeah, I love that. I think that um, peop- that the relationship that we can have with running definitely evolves. And for some, it's exercise. For some, it's a way to stay healthy. And for others... Um, and it can be a combination of all this, but for others, it's sort of a way of life. It's the, I have something I want to get better at and I'm going to do it. And the process of getting better mm. um, is enriching and validating. And um, yeah, as you said, uh, affirming. Absolutely. And I guess what also gives me more affirmation is just knowing that um, I feel like the sport of ultra running just needs more representation or just endurance sports in general. Yeah. And I feel like uh, being on the starting line provides subtext and uh, essentially just makes the picture a little bit more colorful in every degree. Yeah, I think I, uh, definitely very important. I had a conversation with a friend, Adam Mary. Um, he is, um, half black and half white. And he said, look, there's nobody looks like me at these races. (laughs) And I want to be there for somebody who looks like me and sees me and says, I can do this too. And I think that, um, I mean, as a podcaster, I have a responsibility to highlight that and tell stories that are, that are not all the same. Um, and, and I think as an athlete, it's amazing that you have the, the ability to um, to be there for other people who might not see themselves on the start line. So thanks for doing what you do um, and keep doing it. Yeah. Thank you, Jonathan. I do appreciate uh, you for acknowledging that. For sure. Um, switching gears a little bit, what what's on tap for you for the rest of this year? And you mentioned a race coming up in a couple months here. Um, how are you, how are you approaching 2021 um, in a place where there is still so much uncertainty? I'm approaching it 
one day at a time. Um, <laughs> just yesterday, I was, I'm still very green in the ultra running scene in the sense that I'm, I'm inexperienced, you know, I do have the talent. Uh, but with comrades canceled in June, um, I was just researching races on my own. And I didn't even know this, but apparently there's a hundred mile U.S. road championship in April. And had I known this, I would have at least began the training block at least a couple weeks earlier. Um, but my mantra, at least yesterday, was like, hey, let's just do one day at a time. But I marked my calendar for April 24th. Um, I believe it's called the Jackpot 100 Ultra in Las Vegas. Um, and it's in coordinates with the U.S. 100 Mile Championships. What is it about the road ultras that you love? I, you know, at least training for PCX2, I think what really helped me for that race specifically um, was that it was a nine lap course for 62 miles. And my training directly reflected that race or that race day because I would do, people were calling me crazy, but I was like, I built up to a 50K um, road run at Washington Park in Denver, Colorado. And that each loop is about 2.2 miles. So I ran about 13, 14 loops for about 31 miles. And I, it's just something that works for me. Like I can run monotonous loops and I really don't care about going on, at least not yet. I do. Um, I mean, I like trail running, but it's just at this time for me working full time. It's really inconvenient driving 30 minutes out, 30 minutes back. Um, but I'm just a very monotonous runner in that sense. I can do the same boring loop for days if I like really had to. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. Um, and I feel the same way sometimes. So I'm here in Breckenridge, Colorado, and every run is, um, every run that's not a very short loop is, you know, I'm finishing with four miles going uphill. And it's, yeah. so a couple of weeks ago, I did a workout on Wednesday or, yeah, what whatever it was. I did a workout the day before. And I had some easy miles the next day and I'm in a, like a, it's not a cul-de-sac, but there's a, like a neighborhood loop and the loop is a half mile and it's like 40 feet of gain for the, for the half mile loop. Maybe that's a little, anyway, I did 20 loops and oh. everybody was like, wow, this is so boring. And I was like, actually, it's like the flattest way to do it. And, um, <laughs> I, I get what you're saying that like you get in a rhythm and it's like, all right, two more, four more, six more, whatever it might be. Um, you just get in that groove and they just start clicking off. Yeah. And if you're like math oriented, um, I teach math at a high school. Like I just break it down, you know, I'm like, okay, 31 miles, at least like the first five miles are great. You do the first five miles. You're like, okay, I'm like one sixth of the run done. You know, like I'm just like doing math the entire time too, like basic elementary style math. Um, but if that's the case, I don't think I've done too many quarter or half mile loops myself. But if that's the case, you should probably jump into this hundred mile race. <laughs> I, I don't know if I've got the hundred mile legs in me just yet, but I want to do it one day. Um, out here, I'm just uh, just 
just trying to survive the uh, the ten thousand feet of uh, of elevation and and get my ten miles or eight miles in uh, and and enjoy it. Breckenridge is in ten thousand feet. Yeah, sleeping at ninety six hundred, and most runs go above ten. So oh it's, my it's gosh. up there. <laughs> so I'll be I'll be back I, in the front front range area. I mean, I had my challenges. <laughs> I mean, I still have my challenges dealing with 5,200 feet, just, you know, dry skin, like, like, just, yeah, perpetual like all, the, all the above, you're like constantly dehydrated and you're just asking yourself like, yeah. So I'm just kind of like taken aback that you're constantly or that you're consistently training in 10,000 feet. I'm, I'm just pretty excited to, uh, so I'm going to go back to Boulder, um, probably next week and it'll be a drop of 4,000 feet. So it'll, it'll feel like, you know, going back to sea level effectively, um, given what I've, yeah, what I've been that's, used to. That's but, what I was about to say. You're essentially back in sea level. <laughs> so it, yeah, it's fun. It's just another, it's another variable. Um, my, my first run out here um, compared to a run I did three weeks later, the run three weeks later was, a minute per mile faster. And so it's cool to see that progression of the exact same loop, same distance, eight minutes faster. Um, and I think, again, that's what I love about running. It's just, you keep doing it and things keep getting better. Yeah, absolutely. And especially if you're doing very race specific training, even to a point where like the environment, um, reflects the race day circumstances or scenarios, you know what I mean? Like, track runners trade like run repeats on the track to race for a track race. And I think that might've been one thing, at least that I felt that I was doing the best out of uh, everyone or anyone that ran PCX too. Um, Cause at least when I was talking to some of the athletes and some of them were like, yeah, like I put some great elevation. I had some great elevation gains. I did this on the trails or like I did this on a track or or whatever, like, a lot of that can definitely supplement your training for that race. But if you do something that's very specific to what you're racing, um, I feel like you're just going to have more of a gain. For sure. Um, switching gears a little bit to some lighter questions that have been submitted by your fans. Um, you've got the best hair in ultra running. When are you going to get a, uh, <laughs> a, a hair sponsor or a uh, shampoo sponsor? Hey, head and shoulders, if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast hosted by Jonathan, hook your boy up because my hair routine <laughs> has been very, very technical as have as has my training. Um, if you want to hook me up with the sponsorship, please do so. I'll give you shout outs and all the above when people or if people do compliment my hair. Nice. Um what what do you wish people knew about you besides the fact that that uh, you're seeking a head and shoulder sponsorship? <laughs> um, oh man, that's a really good question. I just want them to know that uh, whatever success that I've had this past month, this was not meteoric. This was a byproduct of just years of consistency, be it running, um, 
taking a step back during those years and just reflecting to see what I can do better and just challenges in regards to injuries and uh, just dealing with uh, uh, dealing with my family, you know, and what they think of me pursuing this dream or these goals. So I just uh, want people to know that anything that anyone does, you know, it's like you, you might see the end result, but it definitely took a lot of hard work with reflections and setbacks and obviously doing the thing, which is running and training hard. Makes a lot of sense. Um, you've talked a lot about reflection and looking back and, and whatnot. Um, is gratitude something that you intentionally practice? Absolutely. Um, there are just going to be days, be it training, be it life or whatever may come at you with full force. Uh, just waking up. One of my practices that I do, especially on a day in which I might feel a little crummy, um, when I wake up, I just wiggle my toes, um, I crack my knuckles and just get the sensation of my body and really appreciating and being grateful that I have good health, um, that my that my legs work, that my body is able to function and do the things and carry those things out that I wanted to carry out um, gives me a lot of gratitude and uh I'll put things, I'll, I'll uh, give you one snippet of a story. Uh, days before leading to Project Carbon X2, my car got stolen. Um, I was, I mean, that was entirely on me. Um, I made a very stupid mistake, but my car got stolen and I really didn't trip too hard about it because, you know, a lot worse things can happen. You know, and I just started the first things that honestly came to my mind after processing that my car got stolen uh, was just being grateful that I wasn't in a car accident or that I am dealing with a family death or personal injury or whatever. And throughout that day, I was honestly completely fine. Sorry, I think you uh, the connection dropped out there for a second. Um, that is, uh, that's fascinating. I feel like it takes a lot of work to get to a place like that where you can just accept and not move on, but, um, understand it within the context of everything else that's going on. Um, I think my last question is, uh, if we want to follow along with your adventures, where can we find, find you on social media? Uh, yeah, I'm active on Instagram at lightning Raj, L I G H T N I N G R A J. Um, I'm not active on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else, but, uh, Instagram and Strava are essentially my main accounts. If you just want to take, uh, more of a closer in-depth look into my training. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for taking some time to chat today and we'll see you out there. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.